Ephesians 1. I just want to set the context and uh, from Ephesians 1. Ephesians 1 uh, verse 3 onwards to 7. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places in Christ just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy without blame before him in love having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ to himself according to the good pleasure of his will to the praise of the glory of his grace by which he has made us accepted in the beloved in him we have redemption through his blood the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace we 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 have turned to this multiple times during worship i have turned to this multiple times shamelessly in worship maybe even repeating myself but it is a wonderful passage which explains what god's purpose is for us and how he has made this great equation between christ and ourselves and this is a wonderful passage to start this letter this letter written by paul to the ephesian ephesians is is not to deal with a specific issue or specific problem as some other letters could have but this is a more encouraging letter is just to encourage the folks that he spent time in this church and now he was away from the church and he sends this to the people of this church in ephesus and it's very le- relevant to people in this church it's relevant very relevant even in this time and i hope those verses come alive to you this morning and as we know this is about us being blessed us being chosen us being predestined and that we have redemption through him shall we go to the next chapter because the crux of my message is in chapter 4 so i just want to rush through it in for chapter 2 and chapter 3 because it does set the context there is uh something which comes from from chapter 1 chapter 2 3 and then it kind of culminates in 4 and 5 efficiency <clears throat> 2 efficiency 2 is more about christ being the center and here we will see many passages here in christ in about the about christ in efficiency 2 i'll again i'll just run through it was 12 that at that time you were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise having no hope and without God in the world was 13 but now in Christ Jesus who once you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace was 14 was 18 through him we both have access by one spirit to the father verse 20 having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets christ jesus himself became the chief cornerstone this talks about christ being the cornerstone of our lives and of this church and he is central to everything that is what this chapter wants to bring out the first chapter talks about god's purpose second chapter more about christ being central and then if we go to chapter 3 it talks about the mystery which kind of ties it all together and about our church being a living church Ephesians 3 verse 1 and the reason i said we have to go through these chapters before we get to chapter 4 is if you see in chapter 3 verse 1 it says for this reason 
And when it says, for this reason, you have to read the previous chapters. You cannot just start blankly and say, for this reason, and try to make sense of it, right? So this, the stage is being set on Christ, who is central, God's purpose. And then in, verse, in chapter 3, it says, for this reason, I, Paul the prisoner of Christ Jesus for you in Gentiles. He's setting the stage on who he is and that he's speaking to Gentiles. He's talking to even us being the non-Jews having no access according to the old, old covenant. We too are just like Gentiles, aren't we? We, are, we were outside the scheme of things, but now we are part of the beloved and he has made us accepted. Verse 6, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ through the gospel. We are now fellow heirs. We have the right to come into the holy place. And as Tyrstein also, also just uh, spoke about the table, we are partakers. We come together and partake in this body. It's not each one of us in our silos but all of us together. It talks about the church. It talks about us being together. And there's a purpose for us to be together. Otherwise, we could all be in our own homes and worshipping in our own silos. But Christ has made this body and he is the chief cornerstone. Verse 14. For this reason, I bow my knees to the Father God of our Lord, to the Father of our Lord Jesus. And again, brings together worship. Considering all this, this is what we should do, that we should worship him. And how from the whole family in heaven and earth is named. The entire number of Christians who are present today form the church. We are a local church. But the body of Christ is the entire body of believers. Yesterday we met a few believers. And few of us hit it off just like that. I don't think I can hit it off that easily. Maybe with some cousins. But... With the same wavelength, believers, we are brothers in Christ. We are all one, and that comes out so strongly. And there's a reason that this, this, all this keeps coming, coming out in chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 16, that he may grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the Spirit in the inner man. This family is built of believers who are all different. We are all unique, we are all different, and we all come together to form this body. And there's a purpose for this. Now we've seen the doctrine in the first three chapters. The doctrine is pretty solid. We know what the base is set. God has a purpose for us. Christ is central, and Christ is the head of the church. And we are part of this church, we are part of this body, and each one of us have been brought together into this church. And then in Ephesians 4, it starts again with, I therefore. It says, I therefore. Why? Because you need to read the previous three chapters. I therefore, keeping in mind, Christ, body, we are one. I therefore, the prisoner of, of the Lord, beseech you, beseech you, the church, to walk worthy of the calling which you are called. Walk worthy of the calling which you are called, which you were called. He draws reference to himself being a prisoner. And that I think there's a reason because he wants to draw reference that being a Christian, there is suffering, there is turmoil, there will be oppression, there will be issues. And the same way, being Christians in one body, in one church, 
it's not all going to be rainbows and flowers and all happy. There will be issues. There will be infighting. There will be differences of opinion because we are all different. Verse 2, with all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing one another in love. Bearing one another in love. We've heard so many messages recently in terms of keeping pride aside, to be humble, to make oneself low. So I won't expound much on that. Verse 3, endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring to keep the unity in the spirit. Now it's not easy, it's not, easy. It's not just like we all come together, it's assumed that we are God's children, so everything will be good. Maybe someone, some of you even work in corporates which are driven by Christian values and even I've heard from them saying we think that because we work in a Christ-centered organization there will be no office politics there will be no issues but whoever I spoke to they all say it's present even in Christ-centered organizations because we all are end of the day human we have our sinful nature we have our pride we have our issues and there will be differences of opinion so we have to endeavor. It doesn't say that we need to just try, try to be good to one another. It says we have to endeavor in this effort. So what is this effort? And then it says the unity and bond of peace. It's very... We should be peaceful. It doesn't give much, does it? Maybe there's few verses below which give us a little more detail on what we need to do to keep the peace going. The next section, verse 7 to 16, talks about gifts, spiritual gifts. And this is not my message, so we will move past that. Verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And then it talks of spiritual gifts. And this, this grace does continue to the next few sections. That each one of us, even in the, in the first, first, uh, first uh, chapter, it talks about each one of us being blessed with spiritual blessings. Each one of us has a nature which is from Christ. It is in us. Someone recently spoke from here saying that we pray for grace. We pray for strength. But little do we know that God has given us that grace and he has given us that strength. But we don't know how to draw from it. We don't ask for it. Rather ask... God to enable us to use what he has given us. Use those blessings he has already given us. He has already blessed us with every spiritual blessing. And when we act and think that, oh, God is not strengthening me, that is a lie. If you are a blood-bought child, it is in you. Draw strength by yourself and it is possible. Let's go to, go to the section which I really want to pay attention to which is chapter 4, 17 onwards that is one section and then verse 25 onwards will be the next section verse 17 again you see that verse coming again this I therefore there is a stage being set and that is why it's coming back here it says this I therefore testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk no longer walk as the Gentiles walk Brothers and sisters, we are now a new creation. We are a new being. We are born again. When we say born again, it's not, you know, are you a born again believer? It is so cliched. 
it is true but is it true in our lives have we truly been born again have we truly kept away our old past and are we truly a new creation that is the challenge in this passage you should no longer walk as the rest of the gentiles it's a command not to walk like that and i want to just go back in in same efficiency in efficiency 212 efficiency 212 and 13 that at that time you are without christ being aliens from the commonwealth of israel and strangers from the covenants of the promise having no hope and without god in the world but now in christ jesus you who are far off have been brought near by the blood of christ you have been brought near by the blood of christ each one of us is now a blood bought child and we have to have a new creation a new being our characteristics should change it should be visible to those around us and it's an effort which we have to do by ourselves when someone has sacrificed themselves given themselves up who has adopted us taken us into his fold many times when when we have children who have been adopted it takes time for the parents to bring them up in the way they have been brought up similarly when christ has adopted us he gives us and he imputes his characteristics on us it is there it is there within us and it is up to us to draw from that shall we go to the next section which is in 17 la the last part of 17 which talks about the fu- the futility of their mind what is this futility of their mind pointlessness uselessness vain things people of this world who don't have christ concentrate on vain things concentrate on things which are not christ centered and that takes their focus away from christ it takes their focus away from the real things which affect christians was 18 having their understanding darkened being alienated from the life of god because of the ignorance that is in them because of the blindness in their heart those who don't have christ in them have alienated themselves you know when we uh, try and preach the gospel to anyone if they reject christ that is the saddest thing that can happen they have come up to the door they have heard the truth and they turn away and go they are blinded by their own darkness they have their own ways they have their own agenda they think that what they have in their mind is right but aren't we different we know the truth right we know the truth we are we are blood bought children who know that there is futility in these things that we should not ignore the law the law is there for a purpose we know the things which are there in the word of god and that's again highlighted in the next verse which explains it further these people who are blinded who are 
who don't know what they are doing because they're dead in the trespasses, what do they do? Verse 19, who being past feeling have given themselves to lewdness to, walk all un- to work all uncleanness with greediness. These people are blind. They are, un- they are unrighteous. They have their own ways. There's vulgarity in them. There's coarseness. There's profanity. And they're greedy. They have their own set agenda. God may be calling me to do something else, but, you know, I need to do something else today. Maybe next week. Maybe next month. Because you have your own agenda. You want to do your own things. And this is just not Gentiles or unbelievers, is it? It's even us. This is, this is us. Even though we know the truth, we are not blind. We know the truth, but we act blind. We turn away from these things. There's futility in our lives. There's uselessness in our lives. There are vain things in our lives. We'd rather do what we want to do and not what Christ wants us to do. We have our selfish motives for all these things. And this is, this is us. Verse 20. But you have not so learned Christ. The ESV explains it better. ESV says, but that is not the way you have learned Christ. For those of us who have learned Christ know that that's not the way. There is a different way, a different path for us to take. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Verse 22. That you put off concerning your former conduct. The old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts. Brothers and sisters, this verse explains it better. I cannot explain it. Our frame of mind, the things we do, the things we were doing, is there any difference after we accepted Christ? Is there a visible difference or are we continuing in our sinful lives? The illustration is very simple here. Put off the things of your former conduct. No, there are other verses which talk about sins being as filthy rags, right? And when we accept Christ, he takes off those filthy rags and gives you a new creation, a new being, a, a, something which is a, a cloak of righteousness. But what do we do? Righteousness is there once in a while. Let's pick up that old rag which is in the corner. It's a lot of joy in that rag, isn't it? Worldly joys, worldly pleasures. Ple- pleasures. No one's watching. Let's wear that rag. Let's dance around in that rag. Brothers and sisters, this word is, verse is clear. It says, put it off. Put off that former conduct. Throw it away. Don't go near it again. This passage from 17 talks about us leaving righteous, living righteous lives. And we have to strive to it. We have to, we have to really make, make earnest effort in striving towards these things. Verse 20, 23, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. In true righteousness and holiness. Let it not be superficials for the world to see. Doesn't matter. You're going to affect change in minds of people just for a few years. But what really matters is eternity. Who are we trying to fool? There should be genuine change. There should be genuine 
true righteousness, I don't say it, it says in verse 23, in true righteousness and holiness, be true in what we do, even in the quiet of our mind, even when we are alone, God is there with us. He knows our thoughts, He knows our weaknesses, He knows whatever we do. Is there righteousness? Or are we playing with fire by going back to those dirty rags? I'd like to go to the next section, which is from verse 25 onwards. And verse 25, again, I didn't notice these things, but as you study, you really study to preach, you notice much more. Again, it starts, therefore. So it set the stage saying, God has a purpose. Christ is central. We are part of a church whose head is Christ. The cornerstone is Christ. We are part of one body. There's a responsibility with us. Don't go back to your sinful ways. Therefore, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Again, it goes back to the thing saying, we are members of one another. And this is, is, you know, some commentaries, I'm not saying I'm right, but I have a different view. Some commentaries talk about a few of these verses directly to the sin of lying. It's not about the sin of lying. It is, in essence, the sin of lying. But the main message here is, you know, Charlie says this quite often, and I agree with him, that when we sing, that's when we say the most amount of lies. We gladly sing those songs. Many of those are lies. The same way, we as believers, when we come into this, in the presence of other believers, how are you doing, brother? I am fine, brother. I am I'm energized for this morning. And inside, he's like, oh my goodness, what a week I've had. I cannot take this. Brother, how are you doing? Are you doing okay? You, you don't seem well. And there's something toying and poking at you inside the first thing what do you say I'm doing very well and the reason I say this is because as you see in the verses to follow the Holy Spirit has inspired Paul to write these words because it all flows together and ties down together and it's dealing with interpersonal issues here it's not about the fact about being a liar that is also essential. But it talks about lying to your neighbor. Not a general neighbor, but it says here specifically, for we are members of one another. It's talking about lying to one another rather than being truthful and honest and direct with your brother in Christ. Half of us, including myself, don't have the guts for it, do we? It's easier to just walk away from a situation. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to talk about it. Give it a few days. It goes away. Okay. Let's move on. <clears throat> Verse 26. Verse 26 says, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, on your anger, on your irritation, on your irritability. There's a huge list of words and phrases which can be switched with wrath, not because I want to switch it, but that's what it means. 
be angry. Sorry for the few brothers who were there in the men's meeting and who did hear this from me a couple of months back. This ne next 10 minutes is the same thing I shared a couple of months back and I really wanted to expound on this for the entire church. Be angry. Being angry is not a sin. Immediately we think being angry is oh not, not the right thing to do. Be angry for the right things. It is called righteous anger. It is okay to be angry against injustice. Be angry against sin. Be angry against those who cause problems for others. Those who are causing problems in the church. It's okay to be angry with them. But not continually. You know, there's a, there's a way to, to do this. Anger is an emotion. We have to control it. We have to take charge over it. And use that anger and channel it in the right way. It says, be angry and do not sin. Some of your versions may say, but do not sin. Be angry. Be angry for the right things. Don't get angry for everything. If you get angry for everything, you have an issue. Talk to someone. Deal with it. Be angry for the things where you know God will be angry. Christ was angry. There were moments where he got angry. And I want to just draw reference to those verses. You don't need to turn to them. But you know, just to build on my case that it's okay to be angry. Mark 3.5 And he looked around them with anger, grieved at their, at their hardness of heart. And said to them, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was restored. So here Christ was about to heal someone and... The Pharisees were looking at him intently. Are you going to do it on the Sabbath? And he knew their thoughts and he was angry at them. He was angry because their hearts were hardened. And it was not a right thing for them to do. That's why he was angry. And then in Matthew 21, 12, we all know this as well. When Jesus enters the temple, which was being misused, and he got angry. And he showed his anger also. And he, and he said to them, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it a den of robbers. This is righteous anger. When things, things go wrong, not wrong because you think it's wrong, but wrong because it's against God, it's against His law, because there is sin, repetitive sin, you can be angry for that. What do you do about it? Again, don't take my advice. Let's look down further into the verses. And do not let the sun go down on your anger. Before we go there, and do not, in, in terms of the phrase which says, do not sin. You know, the, the first thing we do when we are angry is, we may vent our frustration in the wrong way. We may bottle it up for a long time. We may not deal with it. And then after some time, it blows up into a bad situation with that brother. You blow up with him. You have a huge argument with him because of all that unresolved anger which was bent up which was which was held held behind proverbs 29:11 says a fool gives vent to his spirit but a wise man quickly holds it back now there's, there was this uh, basketball player called Walt Fraser i don't know if he was a believer but when he was playing a game 
the defender when the referee wasn't looking just elbowed him on his face and they both fell the referee thought it was walt's walt's fault and he cautioned him and gave him a penalty gave him a penalty shot walt fraser did not show any signs of irritation or anger he just went back to his side waited for the ball to come and there his team was trailing back to back he stole the ball repetitively and put seven baskets in he channeled his anger in the right fashion he used it in the right way he could have easily blown up with this with this guy he could have blown up with the referee but he channeled it in the right way do not let the sun go down on your anger on your wrath on your rage on your fury on your irritation we may say we are not angry we just irritated with him you know sometimes it just bugs me it's okay but you know it's just go talk to him no oh, it's 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 okay it'll it'll get better it'll get better you know i'm just not happy with the way he does things if it bothers you deal with it if not ignore it don't hold it against somebody why do you hold this against somebody if you are not willing to deal with it again deal with it how verse 27 don't let the sun go down on your anger is where we left off and it says no give place to the devil so what what does it mean if you let the sun go down on your anger and irritation with your brother you're giving place for the devil he is getting a foothold ah there is irritation in this church there are problems here is my chance to get in do not give place to the devil into your lives into this church with your fellow brother with non believers the word of god has a way out do not give place to the devil how do we take away this anger and irritation we have with our brother we we'll just turn to a few passages luke 17:3 pay attention to yourselves if your brother sins rebuke him if he repents forgive him and if he sins against you seven times in a day and turns to you seven times and says i repent you must forgive him so the count is seven it seems your brother sins against you go away i don't want to talk to you anymore you have sinned against me that's wrong you have to rebuke him you have to deal with the situation don't brush all this under the carpet don't bottle it up it's like a wound which is going to fester you just have a wound you're going to cover it up with a cloth you don't deal with it it will fester and become infectious deal with it if your brother sins rebuke him if he repents forgive him you must forgive him mark 11:24 therefore i tell you whatever you ask in prayer believe that you have received it and it will be yours many times we stop here we say brother you pray in faith and god will answer your prayer thank you lord for answering our prayer we ended that way how come we don't go to the next verse 
We stop at that one verse because it's comfortable for us. It works for us. I pray in faith, I get what I want. Verse 25 after that says, And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Here it doesn't say against a brother. It doesn't say only those who are in Christ. It says against anyone. So that your father also who is in heaven may forgive your trespasses. When we go to our Lord who has forgiven us, but if we go with baggage from other people, Lord, I know you have forgiven me. I hope that you will answer my prayer. If only God could reply and say, directly, I hope he does. I hope he tells you that directly the next time you pray. All that is fine. Have you forgiven your brother? Have you forgiven your friend? Have you forgiven your dad, your sister, your brother? First go forgive him and then come to me. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to go to the throne of grace with a heart which has completely forgiven everyone. You cannot go to Christ and thank him for his forgiveness when you haven't forgiven your fellow brother. Let's look at another, another verse. Now in this, it was a positive saying, ask for forgiveness and come, come, come to me in prayer. But in, in Matthew 6.14 it says, if you forgive others, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father also will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Brothers and sisters, if you are holding against somebody else, and you are going to the Lord asking for forgiveness for what you have done on that day or that week or whatever it is. I'm sure we all, I don't need to preach this again. We all have also heard this many times from the same pulpit recently. There are consequences for sin, aren't there? Each of us may be saved for eternity. We have a place secure in, the, in heaven. This is not talking about our salvation being lost. Never. It's not about the salvation, but it's about the sins we commit and the moments we hurt the heart of God due to our sinful ways, due to our sinful human nature. There's a consequence for that. You cannot sin and walk away thinking where sin abounded, grace, grace abounded much more. There's a worse. That's not how it works. That grace talks about salvation. But there are consequences for every sin that we commit. Let's turn to that in Hebrews 12. Hebrews 12, 4 and 8. We, each one of us call ourselves sons and daughters of this wonderful God. Right? And if we are sons and daughters of this wonderful God, He is our Father. And we all know we all have had fathers. Many of us are fathers. And we know as fathers, we are not doing our duty if we do not correct our children, if we do not punish our children. Hebrews 12, 4 and 8. 
4 to 8 in your struggle against sin you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding of your blood we have to resist sin to the point of shedding our own blood which means it's a struggle you have to push forward for it you have to fight darkness our sinful nature is so hard within us it's so easy to fall into sin it is a struggle to be righteous and that is our call that we have to remain righteous verse 5 and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons don't forget that you are his sons and daughters second part of verse 5 my son do not regard lightly the discipline of the lord nor be weary when reproved by him for the lord disciplines the one he loves and chastens every son whom he receives now when when my sons disobey me disobey us we do forgive them but that does not mean that spares them from the for the punishment which is due i do punish my children i do it out of love i do it out of a heavy heart but it is something which has to be done and the same way each one of us are accountable for the sins that we commit we can go into his presence and ask for forgiveness we can plead with him and hope that he will be merciful merciful with us that he will not punish us with his full wrath and this is what the verse says if you do not forgive others god will not forgive you if you go into the presence of lord and say lord forgive me for these sins but i will not forgive these fellows who have sinned against me he will not forgive you and it is written in the word brothers and sisters this is a warning for each one of us there are many faults to it that we need to forgive our brother and sister because it is a command from our lord in matthew 18:21 we saw the earlier passage where christ said if he repeats his seven, seven his repeats the sin seven times we should forgive him seven times i hope nobody is taking that out of context and saying there's a limit to my forgiveness i've had enough with this guy have you heard that before i've heard that from believers brothers and sisters that's wrong you have no right to set a limit to your forgiveness if god set a limit to our forgiveness we stand no chance absolutely no chance forget it you're wasting your time if you believe that and you still come here you don't stand a chance matthew 18:21 says then peter came up and said to him lord how many times how often will my brother sin against me and i have to forgive him how many times he's fed up with some guy who constantly is ticking him off he's like oh i'm had it with this guy and then he's like checking with the boss okay i've done the seven times somewhere you told seven times i'm done with it and jesus said to him jesus jesus also really smart isn't he he sticks on to his seven somewhere <laughs> he loves this <laughs> jesus said i do not say to you seven times but 70 times 7 70 times 7 
and it doesn't say in a day in an hour or whatever it is but it says 70 times 7 now please guys don't tell me you're calculating 7 into 7 equals it's not that don't don't even try to multiply 7 times 70 times 7 means unconditional forgiveness again and again and again forgive him forgive your brother verse 29 onwards yes I <clears throat> I am skipping a verse there verse 29 we stopped at verse 28 and we are going to 29 let no corrupt word proceed this is Ephesians 4 4.29 let no corrupt word proceed from your mouth but what is good for necessary edification that it may impart grace to the hearers when you deal with our brothers let's not go with vengeful hearts to strike them down and say what you are doing is wrong but you must go with a loving heart for necessary edification that you may impart grace to the hearers do it gracefully rebuke them gracefully do it with love don't do it with a rotten mouth with discouraging it should be edifying it should be graceful it should be strengthening verse 30 do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption by whom we have been sealed for the day of redemption we have been sealed for that eternal day and that same God do not grieve him do not grieve him how are we grieving him verse 31 onwards and I'm taking from the amplified version which because this explains it so beautifully each verse is explained little better little more verse 31 let all bitterness and indignation and wrath passion, rage, bad temper and resentment, anger, animosity and quarreling, brawling clamor, contention and slander, evil speaking abusive or blasphemous language be banished from you with all malice all spite, ill will baselessness of any kind put that away from you put that away from you verse 32 so what do we do instead and become useful and helpful and kind to one another tender hearted, compassionate, understanding loving hearted forgiving one another readily and freely For forgiving one another readily and freely I kept drawing reference to Christ and this chapter ends there as God in Christ forgave you brothers and sisters if God forgave us through a heavy sacrifice it also means that we need to pay a heavy sacrifice in asking for forgiveness. It's not easy. Obviously, it's not easy. Someone said, when I heard, and this is a, one of the famous Bible teachers, he said, when I badmouth someone, when I talk ill of someone, I have to and I have to go and I know I have to go and speak to them it is so humiliating it is so humiliating to go up to that person accept that I have wronged him and tell him I am sorry it is humiliating but isn't it wonderful that humility and humiliating stems from the same word 
are we able to humble ourselves get humiliated what's wrong humble ourselves go to that brother brother you may not know this but i have been harboring this resentment and this irritation with you that day once upon a time you said this i took it in this way and i was wrong forgive me for holding this against you many of us do hold things against brothers here some of us may not but many of us i'm sure do brothers sisters the word of god says that is wrong do not hold that against anybody lest your father hold things against you just want to quickly give you four points which you can take home and draws reference from these truths which we have heard today you know as uh, children as we grow up we always look at relationships between our parents we look at relationships between our grandparents our siblings our friends and we always as growing up whether we know it or know it we already drawing references and making taking the best we, we we never take the worst of things do we we, we always take the worst of the, we we always try choose the best say oh that relationship so sweet you know i like the way they are going well together oh what a wonderful couple and then you know this is this is both for married couples for those who are looking for spouses um it's for those who have problems in relationships it all applies here so you know as a as a person who's looking for a spouse is i want my spouse to be like this my aunt you know she was such a gem of a lady i want my wife to be like my aunt we already have built this monument for a person we don't know we are ready to accept this person i think it's a reasonable expectation right to have a reasonable expectation for a person who we want to be in relationship or friendship with you know i like these guys those guys mm, wavelength not so great these guys perfect it's a reasonable expectation it isn't my my friends it isn't in first corinthians 12 it says for just as one body for just as the body is one it has many members and all the members of the body though many are one so it is in christ each of our fingers are different even if you try and put both your fingers together you see there's marks marks which are different each one of our parts of our body is different each one of us is different you're not going to get the person who you think is the perfect match for you in terms of a spouse you're not going to get a friend who you think is that perfect friend who will never ever let you down he or she will let you down there is no perfect match there is no reasonable expectation you should have from people around you okay person is not what i thought he or she was we'll change them no i have been a agent of change in my organization people have told me that i have been able to influence people positively let us change our spouse it is possible Second Corinthians 6:14 says do not be yoked together with unbelievers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common I hope I try to bring it together and not be out of context here 
do not be yoked together with unbelievers this was written to the corinthians because they were marrying pagan people who brought in their pagan religion and many of these people thought i'll marry them they will change what happened the reason this had to be written is it was happening the other way around people were bringing their pagan gods into homes which were supposed to be christ centered homes same way if you think that you will change your spouse one extreme is definitely do not marry a unbeliever thinking brother she is almost there i think after marriage no she will become a believer god has told me yesterday we met a brother who came to know the lord after his marriage eight years he has been praying for his wife and his wife has not accepted christ eight years it nine years nine years and he tells us tells this to us with so much sadness this brother picked up a mic and he is sharing the gospel with so much fire in him he cannot convince his wife run sisters if you think that you're going to change the other person forget it do not even go there do not even try it you can pray for it you can hope for it you can but you you're just banging your head against the wall if you think that you're going to do it you you cannot change the other person pray for the person hope he or she changes but you can rather change your outlook towards that person be merciful be graceful and hope and pray that things work out between the both of you you've tried it you've tried to change them it's not happening okay let's avoid the person avoid confrontations let's not talk to that person our wavelengths are different i don't care for that person let's have a smooth relationship with others where we know it's going well ephesians 4:25 therefore put away lying let each of you speak the truth with his brother it doesn't say here speak the truth with one section with some of your neighbors it says with every brother speak the truth if you are holding something against somebody today is the day for you to go there meet with them and tell them this is what i had in my mind which is wrong and this is the biggest mistake even even many couples do they think that they can ignore certain issues in their marriage that let's not talk about it they won't even say let's not talk about it and then it blows up okay we have spoken about it i'm not going to forgive you at the moment i need time you've hurt me so badly i need 3 months to heal after 3 months i'll think about it and then i may forgive you i i'm praying to god that i will be able to forgive you god is working in my heart i know brother i, I mean he will allow me to forgive you and we try to sleep it off you know it's it's like a it's like a bad migraine headache this forgiveness oh it's so difficult forget it i'll i'll, I'll sleep on it tomorrow morning fresh shall be i will then go and apologize to the brother next day comes get in get involved with your work with your family you're stuck with something 12 o'clock oh, i should have called the brother and apologized 
three days goes like that. Fourth day, forget it. I think he knows I've forgiven him. I don't want to talk about it. It's easier this way. Let's sleep it off. Let's not talk about it. Ephesians 4.26 Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Today is the day for you to forgive someone. Today is the day for you to accept their forgiveness. It works both ways. Forgive the person. If someone comes and tells you that they have forgiven you or asking for forgiveness, forgive them. Move on. Many of us at times will say, I don't want to go and ask him because you know, maybe he'll get more angry with me. Maybe he won't forgive me. Then I'll look like a total idiot. I've broken myself down. I went and asked for forgiveness and he says, I'll think about it. There's nothing to think about. Did God think about it when you asked him for forgiveness to come into your heart? Now, right now I'm going into two other hearts. Tomorrow, maybe you if you have the same frame of mind. I just had four points for you. If you all can write it down, if you all can remember it, I hope this helps you. Don't have unreasonable expectations from people, from situations. Don't have unreasonable expectations. Don't force change on the other person. Don't, don't force change on the situation. What is in control is what? What is in your hands? Your life? Your way to you receive it? The way you take it? Change the way you take it? Don't ask the other person to change. Don't avoid discussing the issues. Discuss it, hash it out. And fourth point, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You know, there was uh, forgiveness is difficult and it has to be done. And we, we cannot, I mean, we all think that, you know, it's all hunky-dory, but there is so much unforgiveness in this world. It is sad. I don't know how far this is true. The earlier two illustrations I gave was very true. But this illustration, I don't know how far it's true. It could be true. There was this uh, father and son in Spain and they fell out with each other. And the father was very angry with the son. He did not forgive him. He was holding on to his irritation with his son. And finally the son said, doesn't help to be here. And he walked away one fine day. And later... The father realized his mistake and he went seeking for the son in the usual places where he thought he would be. And then finally, he gave up. And this was way before the internet. And he gave an ad in the local paper. And he said, Paco, Paco was his son's name. He said, Paco, I love you. I forgive you. Meet me in front of this paper's office. So he had put it in some daily tribune or whatever, I don't know. He said, meet me at this office tomorrow morning. The next day in the morning, there were 800 Pacos standing there, hoping their father was calling out to them, saying, I forgive you, my son. It could be a true story, can't it? There's so much unforgiveness in this world. There's so much harboring of irritation and I mean, replace irritation and anger and wrath with whatever you want. Brothers and sisters, our, our Heavenly Father doesn't hold things against us. Why should we hold things against our fellow brother? Our fellow brother in Christ, those who work with us, whoever it might be. If your fellow brother, I mean, if, you're, if, you, if it's against a, a non-believer, it's worse. 
and people will see it when you're harboring irritation and then one fine day we have an opportunity to share about this forgiving god pinne he doesn't forgive anybody he is talking about his forgiving god forget it shall we look to the lord in prayer gracious lord only father we want to thank you lord for this time we thank you, lord for speaking to your children lord speaking to me o lord speaking to each one of us o lord we pray lord that we will forgive one another just as you have forgiven us o lord pray lord that we will not hold anything against us o lord because you hold nothing against us o lord when you look at us you have you look at us as a as a forgiven generation you do not remember our sins no more and we pray lord that as you have given us your character as you have given us these abilities and these the your 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 nature your very nature we pray lord that we will draw from that nature lord and that we will be able to forgive we will be able to love that we will be able to outwardly express the things that are in our heart and that we will not sleep on it a lot we pray and commit this time commit each one of us lord pray for this in the name of our lord and savior jesus christ amen